Let us pray. Jesus, as we gather here to learn about you, meet us here. May the lessons taught help to instill righteousness in us, prepare our minds to hear and heed your word, and fill our hearts with a longing for you and your holy word. Bless Phil as he brings the lesson this day. May your presence be known to those who struggle, struggle with the ravages of war, hunger, and political unrest, even in this great nation. Comfort those who are grieving and heal those who are ill. Strengthen us to be examples of your love to all in the week ahead. For this we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. Good to see you on this important day. As you all know, this is a big day, right? Right. It's Vanjie's birthday. It's Vanjie's birthday. That's right. <laughs> it also happens to be Mother's Day, but that's <laughs> secondary. <laughs> I told Vanjie my, my father's birthday was in June and it occasionally fell on Father's Day. He always thought he got gypped. <laughs> um, but she said her family celebrated her birthday last week so that they spread them out so she does get two celebrations. So good for them. But to all the women in the room who are mothers or who have had mothers, I think that covers everyone. Um, yes. Um, and, of all, and to all of you who have mothered, which I think is also all of you. Um, one does not have to be a biological mother to mother. Uh, thank God for that. And so... Uh, for all, all those who have been blessed by your mothering, uh, God bless you for that. And uh, may it be a good day for you. And may you be honored this day. So we are in the Beatitudes. And we are on schedule. I just want this, just one little credit. Uh, it, is, it is week six. We said we were going seven weeks. Uh, it's week six, we're on the seventh Beatitude, and next week will be the final day on the Beatitudes. We will finish on time. Um, well, that's presumptuous. Um, barring unforeseen circumstances, <laughs> um, we will finish next week. So we're in, we're in Matthew 5, um, and we've, uh, we've said all along that one way to understand the Beatitudes is a kind of ladder that they're, that they're connected and uh, they, they build on each other. And so, um, and we've also talked about that this is not Jesus's um, sort of pithy little sayings about how to get along in life or a little wisdom for living. Uh, Jesus is announcing uh, who it is who will be in a position to receive and recognize the kingdom of God. 
Uh, this new world that's breaking in. Um, the kingdom of God is not something that just happens later. It's something that's happening now. Um, Jesus was clear in his ministry, in his very being and person. There was a sense in which the kingdom of God was breaking in. Because the kingdom comes wherever God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, that's what we pray. Right? And so anytime God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, there's a sense in which the kingdom of God is breaking in right there. And we're called to be kingdom citizens, which is why we pray that prayer, which is kind of a loyalty pledge to the kingdom, right? Your will be done on earth. We're called that we want to be those who embody the will of God in our day as an anticipation of the kingdom. Um, the kingdom is not yet here in its fullness. Um, we sort of live in the midst of two worlds. There's a world that's passing away. There's a world that's breaking in. Uh, we're called to more and more be citizens of the world that's breaking in um, and try to let our loyalties go uh, to the kingdoms of this world which are passing away. And so Jesus is trying to give us eyes to see who is it, who is it that will be in a position to receive this kingdom? And so he says, well, who are they? Well, it's the poor in spirit, those people who are, who are broken, who, who are empty-handed, who, um, who know that they, in some, in some ways, have uh, nothing to offer. Uh, and, and at some level, that's, that's all of us, isn't it? Um, it's who else is? It's those, it's those who mourn, those who see the world through tears, who mourn the brokenness of the world and their own brokenness their own sinfulness, their own waywardness. Um, it's also the meek, uh, which is not the weak, uh, but the meek are the ones who are humbled, who don't devote all their energy um, to trying to justify uh, and defend themselves. Um, I was just trying to think this week, like how much energy have I spent this week trying to explain my actions to someone Right? Um, it can be exhausting and it never really works. Um, right? And uh, yeah, the, the meek are, are the ones who are willing to let God be their justifier. Right? Uh, at the end of the day, what you make of me, I mean, you'll make of me what you will. Um, but at the end of the day, that doesn't really matter. And so I can let that go. Um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? Um, where righteousness is the desire, the, the hunger and thirst that our relationships be made right. Our relationship with God, our relationship with one another. Um, this righteousness that, that requires uh, justice, right? Uh, last week we talked about the merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Um, the merciful. That these first four before the merciful are, are, are the things that talk about what we, how we're empty, how we're open-handed. Uh, talks about our lack and our longing. And then we start taking, talking about what we're filled with, what we're pointed towards, 
And so we've received mercy. We are the people who are recipients of God's mercy. And so we extend that mercy in order that we might receive mercy again. And we become channels of God's mercy uh, in the world. And, th and those who are channels of God's mercy uh, can see the kingdom. Right? Can see the kingdom because it's a kingdom marked by mercy. We said if you, if you only had one prayer, right, it's help me. Right? Help me. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. A very central prayer in the Christian tradition. We also talked last week about uh, those who are pure of heart. Right? Pure of heart. Uh, for they will see God. Uh, and the pure of heart uh, are the, those who will one thing, which is to be about what God's about in the world, which is extending surprisingly mercy to all those who need it, which is everyone. Uh, I haven't met anyone uh, who actually doesn't need mercy. Um, Jesus, you know, ironically at times seems to suggest that people around him think they don't need mercy. Right? When Jesus says, you know, I came to, uh, I came for the, I'm a doctors for people who are sick, right? I came to, to save the ones who are sick, who are ill. Um, and he's sort of winking at the ones who think they're well, right? Um, who don't think they need any help, who think they got everything covered. Um, those are the ones who find it hard to see the kingdom, right? If you're self-sufficient and you've got everything covered and you're quite happy with the way this world runs, you're not interested in a different kingdom. You're, you like this one right now, just fine. Um, but this one's horribly broken um, and don't have to have uh, your eyes focused too clearly to see that. And so today we come to the seventh beatitude, which oh, is blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. We have, best I can tell, a kind of uh, love-hate relationship with the notion of peace. Um, I mean, on one level, it's sort of like mothers. I mean, who cannot, can't love, you gotta love your mother, or at least you're gonna say so, right? It's like apple pie. Who can be against your mother, right? Uh, have you ever heard anyone stand up and say, I am against peace, <laughs> right? I hate peace. No, I mean, at, at one level, um, it's, it's almost a cliche. Uh, there was a movie several years ago. You probably didn't see it. It was a bad movie. I only went and watched it because my students kept mentioning it. <laughs> uh, I think it was called Miss Congeniality. Oh, you have seen it. Aha. Uh -huh. You've caught up on all the old movies. Not that old, right? But if you didn't see it, it's about this. It's a beauty pageant, right? But it's about like world peace. Like you know, if you're a beauty, you know, like it's like a Miss USA pageant, and they have the you know, like what do you want to devote yourself to if you should win? Like world peace, <laughs> right? World peace. It just becomes a cliche. Like I want to work for world peace, <laughs> right? It just warms your heart, right? But it just seems completely vacuous. And that's and that's part of that's part of our love hate relationship. I mean, on the one hand, you know, we love peace, but on the other hand, it's you know, it, it seems trivial 
it seems trivial. Um, and it also, I mean, when we imagine what peace is for a lot of us, um, it feels, it doesn't feel uh, for we Americans who love to be uh, people of action, um, it doesn't seem active enough, right? It doesn't seem active enough. Because um, for, for some reason in our minds, um, I think we associate peace with like doing nothing, right? Just, just not making waves, just letting things be. Um, I, I don't really know where all we get that. Um, I think there could be lots of places. Um, I, I think it may be, um, well yeah, I think sometimes we think of uh, people of peace are just people who just are silent and just let things be. Don't, don't, you know, don't ruffle feathers, uh, don't make waves. And so it just feels like you're just one of those peaceful people, which means you just sit back and let, just sort of passive and let things happen. So I think that's part of it. Um, I think the other confusion is, I think we, um, we confuse peacemaking with uh, peacekeeping. Um, I think sometimes in our, and let's just take the obvious example, let's just talk about the household. Let's not try to figure out world peace right now. Let's just talk about peace in our households. Um, because we think of peace just being sort of calm, you know, uh, quiet, serene. Those are the kind of images that we get when we think of peace. Um, and so th sometimes keeping the peace just means keeping things on an even keel. And so lots of times in our houses, if you're you think of yourself as a peacekeeper, your job is just to kind of keep things on an even keel. Kind of keep things quiet, serene, you know, try to smooth things out. Um, and there's lots of ways that can happen. Um, but sometimes what it means is not really addressing anything that's going on. It just means kind of ignoring things that are going on. Um, Right? Okay, just making sure you're with me. I, I, uh, you, you, not, I, I'm not arguing against peacekeeping, I just don't want to confuse it with peacemaking. Um, because in scripture, this, this notion of peace, as we've said probably so many times you're tired of me saying it, but because the biblical notion of peace is so much richer, more robust than what we think of. I think you can't say it too many times. I mean, the biblical notion is rooted in this Hebrew notion of shalom, right? Of shalom, which we've said more than once, but we'll say it again. That's why I get paid for, right? <laughs> saying things until you get it. Uh, and then saying it again. Then you can feel good, like, I knew that. Um, you know, often in Western cultures we define peace negatively, right? By which it means the absence of something. A negative definition is mean it's the absence of something. So we often define peace as the absence of conflict. 
So when we think of what peace is, it's like, well, no conflict, which, which means then that peacekeeping with that kind of notion means, well, let's just try to live in the household as if there's no conflict. Exactly, don't ruffle any feathers. So it doesn't matter if there is conflict, if we just suppress it all, and we all paste smiles on our faces, and we, you know, through our teeth say, how are you? <laughs> then it's good to see you, good morning, I love you, dear. <laughs> then everything's fine, right? We have peace. Well, no, you don't. You may not have open conflict, but you don't have shalom. Because shalom is not the absence of something, it's the presence of something. It's the presence of wholeness, completeness, well-being, human flourishing, complete human flourishing. That's, what, that's God's ultimate desire for us, is to be whole, is to live, and it's a, it's a social thing. You can't have shalom by yourself, because you're a social creature. God makes you a social creature. Doesn't matter if you like it or not, you are a social creature. <laughs> And so you can't be whole unless your relationships are whole. And so that's what God wants, all right, is shalom. And so if I'm just trying to keep, and I have to admit, I'm, I'm conflict averse. I've confessed that before. I'll confess it again. I'm not a person who likes conflict. Um, we won't, you know, psychoanalyze myself this morning. It's not all that interesting. Um, you might find it interesting. I, I don't. Um, but why I'm conflict-averse is not all that important. But I am. I know this about myself. Not proud of it. But that means I, I can easily be a, a peacekeeper in the household. Um, I can help things get suppressed and not talked about just because I'd rather not rock the boat. Uh, I don't like conflict. Even though conflict, which, which often means like talking honestly about what's going on, might actually lead to shalom. That actually might lead towards wholeness and well-being for the household. That might actually be God-honoring. That might actually be good. But too often I, I would just rather keep the peace. Right? Rather than making peace. And so I really want you to see the difference just on the, just on the family level because it, it obviously Shalom we're called to care about and long for and work for, make Shalom, be instruments of God making Shalom in ever-widening circles. It's not just a household thing. That's the place where it's easiest to see the dynamics. And so... You know, part of the challenge then is seeing that, I mean, far from thinking that peacemaking is passive, it's really, really hard work. It's a lot harder than peacekeeping. Because sometimes you can keep the peace, I mean, my, my way of keeping the peace is just suppression, right, just ignoring things. I mean, there's, there's other ways of keeping the peace, too. I mean, you can also keep the peace um, through veiled or not-so-veiled threats, right? 
It's okay, we didn't, we didn't see you, Roger, no problem. <laughs> but you're here. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. You're here. We're glad to see you. question in the middle of your... Am I allowed to ask It appears you? that you may. <laughs> you, you're taking your cue from Lynn. See what you started. Linda, if Linda can do it, I can do it. No, you can't. No. Uh -oh. Just a question. Of course. And I think we maybe should have a question and answer period afterwards. My question is, in terms of family and so on, and keeping peace or being a peacemaker, would you say, and I can't wait to hear what the class would vote on this, that men tend to be like you are, they want to suppress conflict, they view conversation that could lead to wholeness and peace and completion because they want to avoid any contention and no, no, you know, let's just not get into it. And it's easier to just, just... And, and on Mother's Day, you want me to weigh in? <laughs> I've been teaching this class for six years. I don't think I've ever been set up that way before. <laughs> As I said earlier, being conflict averse. <laughs> If we wanted to work in stereotypes, I would say that's often the case, but I have seen families where that's not the case. Yes. So, I mean, certainly there are many people's experience would bear that out. Um, but not always. Um, not always. I've seen, it, I've seen it the reverse. So, um, but I was going to say also that other than suppressing, there's also uh, I've seen families where peace is kept not by suppression but through threat, right? I mean, I mean maybe, maybe you grew up in a household like that where things were on even keel because you knew that it better not get out of an even keel. Because there was going to be, you know what to pay if there, if they, if it did get out of hand, right? But again, that's not wholeness. That's not wholeness. Um, some of you will remember, um, as an aside, he says. Um, I think it was in the eighties. Um, the United States developed. Uh, intercontinental ballistic missile called the Peacekeeper. <laughs> right? And it was a really scary weapon. Right? Um, because one of the things that it did, it was very destabilizing, um, was it was one <coughs> missile, but it had multiple warheads. Mm -hmm. Up to 50 different warheads that would split off. Mm. And so it made it impossible for the Russians to wonder what was actually being targeted. 
right? Um, fortunately, it, we got rid of them. Um, but again, it's called the, I mean, yeah, the peacekeeper, right? Through threat, right? Through threat. Um, so, so this is about peacemaking. Peacemaking, which is is different. It's about being, you know, and, and the people who are willing to be peacemakers again are people who see, who have themselves received mercy, who themselves feel themselves being, uh, by God's grace, moved a little bit more towards wholeness, and who want that, desire that for others. Who, who long for wholeness for other people and realize that that's hard work. Mm -hmm. A lot more difficult work than peacekeeping. Because uh, peacekeeping can just leave things the way they are. And if, I, if I'm left the way I am, I'm not whole. I'm still broken. So I, I need someone who won't let me stay where I am even though it might look like it keeps things serene. I mean, I don't need serenity, cheap serenity. <coughs> I mean, I want, I want whole. The question is, do we really want to be whole? And if we do, that'll be painful, and it will be work, and there will be conflict. <coughs> and I, I just wish someone had told me growing up mm -hmm. that conflict for Christians isn't a bad thing. I just thought. Growing up, Christians were nice people, which means conflict is always bad. But it's not true. That's a horrible lie. It doesn't mean we have to want conflict. We just have to know that sometimes it will be necessary in order to move towards wholeness. Doesn't mean we like it. Doesn't make it any less painful. Uh, doesn't make it any less difficult. It just says the reality is that if you, you and I want ourselves to move towards wholeness, and we want others to move towards wholeness, we'll have to wade into the mess with them. We will. And, and we'll have to be open to having, I mean, not just fixing other people. That's not what it's about. Um, it's, des it's desiring our wholeness together. Um, I'm broken. Once we all recognize our brokenness, this is why this has come so late in the Beatitudes. You know, I want peacemakers to be people who go, who enter into it with the kind of humility and sense of their own brokenness that Jesus suggests in the Beatitudes. I don't want people who think they've got their act together telling other people how to be whole. Who, who are already sure they are. See, this is a ladder. It's a long way before you're ready to be a peacemaker. But Jesus is calling us to this, or at least revealing to us, that these people, people who are willing to, to see what God is doing, are called to enter into this peacemaking. Well, what does it look like? Well, even in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us a few indications. I mean, just later in the chapter, um, notice that the uh, 
what the, the, the peacemakers will be called children of God. That's a stark thing. To be called peacemakers or children of God because God is a peacemaker. God, God made peace with us. We, all of us, the enemies of God. God made peace with us and made us God's children. And so we have to act like God's children. How do we act like God's children? Well, we make... We, are God's instruments to make peace in our own circles, whatever those are. And Jesus says that includes, later in chapter 5, verse 43, you've heard it said, you've heard this a number of times, you've heard it said, and yes you have, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? Same reason. So that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Isn't that interesting? How do we reveal ourselves as children of God? By loving those who don't love you, which is exactly what God did. Right? God didn't wait for us to love God, to love us, to reach out to us, uh, to reconcile us. Uh, God made peace with us long before we were ready to make peace, long before we thought we needed it. God didn't wait for any of that. Um, earlier, uh, in chapter 5, uh, when Jesus is talking about not being angry with someone, he says, you know, um, if you're getting ready um, to go to the altar and leave your gift, if you remember that someone has something against you, go and be reconciled to your brother or sister. Right? Jesus says, don't, don't, I mean, if Jesus were saying this today, it's like, don't even show up on Sunday morning and go through the motions, right? Um, unless you're willing to be reconciled. God cares more, this, this sounds like heresy, right? Um, I think it's what Jesus is saying here. Um, God cares more about you being reconciled, making peace, with those with whom you're alienated. God cares more about that than you show up Sunday morning at Muncie Church. So if you and I are showing up Sunday morning at Muncie Church as a way of avoiding reconciling, we've got it all inside out, backwards, upside down. Uh, this is not what this is about. I mean, the only reason we gather here is to be reminded who we are. And that's people who are called to reconcile, to make peace with those with whom we're estranged. That, that's hard work. That's hard work. Saying this is hard work, right? It's conflictual. Right? Um, it'd be easy for me to say it's all, everything's good, everything's fine. Yeah? Whew, you can breathe now. I can feel the tension in the room. Several of you haven't taken a breath for 30 seconds. Breathe. <laughs> yeah. Deep breath. Peacemaking is hard. Peacemaking is hard. So, being reconciled, loving those who aren't easy to love, working towards our neighbors, shalom. Um, if we're going to be peacemakers, then 
We have to, be, have to be open to our own need for shalom in our lives with deep humility. But we also, because we're longing for righteousness, we're longing for right relationship with our neighbors, we want their shalom as well. And so um, I thought I'd finish up today with a very concrete example. Uh, I often don't do that because... One of the things I love about this class is you have such a wide range of experience and maturity. Sometimes it seems silly for me to give concrete examples because you have better examples in your own life to think about and, and where you are. But I was, um, several of you know um, that this coming weekend, and I put the brochures on the back, um, there's a summit happening uh, Friday uh, most of the day Friday and Saturday up at Celebration Church in Bluntville. It's the church you see there off Shipley Ferry Road. And it's got an odd name. It's called Holy Friendship Summit. You think, like, what's that about? Um, but it's, it's aptly named once you understand what it's about. It's really about how can Christians in this area of Southern Appalachia, how can Christians and churches respond to the opioid crisis, right? Um, no one who really truly understands this crisis thinks that it's simply a medical issue or it's simply a law enforcement issue. Um, there are levels to this, the complexity of it. And everybody agrees it's gonna get a lot worse before it gets better. And it's horrible now. It's horrible. And, and the really, really bad stuff hasn't even gotten here yet, like it has some other places, like the worst of the drugs, like this carfentanil stuff that's out there, 10,000 times more potent than morphine. 10,000 times more potent than morphine. Okay? So we have no idea, but it, just starting to get here. Um, there's a lot the church can do, but we, we have to care about it, right? We have to care about our neighbors who are trapped in this. And part of the challenge is, is that there's so much stigma around it, there's so much shame about it that people are pretty sure that like we have no interest in helping, right? Um, and, and so, yeah, and you might say, we don't know how. Well, that's part of what this Holy Friendship Summit is about is it's a, it's a gathering of church people, clinicians, clergy, all over this region, wider region, uh, it's actually organized by the health organizations in this area, including uh, Duke, Duke University Divinity School. And it's not just a one-time thing. Uh, they're going to be commissioning uh, uh, books and resource materials that's going to be written for this area of the country about how to get involved. Um, so, but it's, a, it's around friendship, right? It's called the Holy friendship summit because it's like what does it mean to be a friend to my neighbor to love my neighbor as ourselves? we know we're called to that 
But what happens when the neighbor's not an abstraction, but happens to be a person who's addicted in our community? What's it mean to love them? Well, if you're like me, you may not know. Well, and they go, a lot of you probably can't go. Um, but it's very affordable. I think it's like $35 for two days. So um, it's not a huge amount. Um, I've got all kinds of brochures on the back table. Gives you information how you can register. It starts uh, Friday morning, runs through Friday afternoon, and then Saturday morning or in the early afternoon. Um, and if you're able, I hope you'll go and just try to, first thing to do is just educate yourself. Like what, what's the problem? How is the problem different than what I think it is? Uh, I've been trying to learn a little bit ahead of the conference and I've, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say how much I didn't know and how many uh, preconceptions I'm just fundamentally wrong about. And so it's hard, it's hard to act towards your neighbor if you're just ignorant. And I still am ignorant. So I'm looking forward to learning more. Um, and I hope if you're available um, that you'll go. And if you're not available, I hope you'll follow up and realize this is, this is not the end of the conversation. This is the beginning of a conversation because it's a problem that's not going away. And so if we really care about shalom for our neighbors, um, not just people in our family, not just people in our Sunday school, but shalom for our neighbors who are in desperate need of wholeness, who are horribly broken in ways that we may not understand, probably don't understand, um, and maybe never fully understand because it comes in lots of different ways. I hope that we'll be open uh, to learning uh, for the sake of our neighbors and for the sake of wholeness. And that's just a, a very concrete way. There's obviously thousands and thousands of other ways to work for shalom. I don't want to suggest that's the only thing. But that's one thing that's sort of on my heart this week as we enter into what I hope is an important moment for this area of the country um, where we don't just try to bring on medical professionals. We have to have them. We don't just try to bring on law, law enforcement. There's certainly a place. We don't just bring on the judicial system. We have to have that too. But there have to be Christian people supporting this whole process or everyone agrees it's probably not going to work. Or at least not going to work for wholeness in the way we want it to. So we've got a part to play in it, even if we're not sure what it is. But I hope you'll be open to discovering what it might be uh, in the weeks and months to come. As a way of taking a concrete step uh, towards being peacemakers and not just peacekeepers. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks that you have declared that Jesus Christ himself is our peace, that he is the Prince of Peace, that he, more than anyone in his very life, embodied shalom, wholeness. We know that by your Spirit, you have called us to be conformed to the image of Christ, to live into that wholeness. Uh, we confess our own, own brokenness, the brokenness of our neighbors and of our world. And yet, we truly do long for 
wholeness, for shalom, for peace. And we are humbled that you have called us to be makers of peace. We pray that we might have the wisdom and humility and meekness and poverty of spirit that we might be people of mercy and people with a singleness of heart who might give ourselves wholeheartedly to your work of shalom in our little circle of influence, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our congregations, may we be your instruments for peace, for shalom, so that your world might move more and more into the world that you desire to be. We pray your blessing on this summit this week and pray that as people gather from the region that your blessing would be on those conversations that we might be better equipped, that our hearts might be softened, that we might be more helpfully engaged in the work of Shalom here in this place. We pray this through the Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ. I should check this cord to see if I can walk with it.